We planned this chapel today on interfaith dialogue. We planned it months ago. With the recent events in Israel and Gaza, it feels more timely than ever. Dialoguing with people of different beliefs and faiths, it builds bridges. It builds bridges of peace. So we're going to focus, we're going to proceed as planned today with the focus on interfaith dialogue. And just so you know, there will be an intentional time to gather for prayer and lament related to the conflict in Israel and Gaza later this week, led by students. And you'll hear more about that at the end of today's service. So a couple of weeks ago in chapel, we heard what it means to be a Mennonite. A Mennonite is a Christian denomination. It's centered around peace and social justice and service. And today, we're going to hear about other religions, some of which are represented in our own student body. So why is this important? Well, as a faith institution at Goshen College, we value global citizenship and we value compassionate peacemaking. And we believe that by listening to each other and becoming curious about views that are different than our own, we will find greater unity and connection to one another. So I invite us to be present here in this space. Let's set aside this time and let it be free from distractions. I invite you to put away your phones, put away your homework, and be fully here. This time is a sacred time. We're going to use it to reflect on deeper truths, larger questions. Maybe you've wondered about these questions, about faith, questions that take us beyond ourselves into something greater. So I invite us into a posture of humility, a posture of learning, and curiosity and openness. As we enter this time, I light a candle. I light this candle in the name of peace, in the spirit of unity and compassion. and in the presence of the divine. As this candle illuminates the room, may knowledge and wisdom illuminate our hearts. We gather as one, recognizing the oneness that transcends all religions. So with the candle lit now, I invite us to pause for a moment of silence. And during this time, I invite you to connect with the divine in your own way. You can offer prayer, longings, thoughts, or just your presence. At this time, I would like to invite our guests to come up to the stage. We are grateful to have distinguished religious leaders in our community who are willing to come and share a bit about their faith with us and dialogue together. 
Brianna Nickel, she's a theology professor here at the college. She's going to lead our panel discussion and introduce the panelists. Following this discussion, I'll give a blessing, and then you're all invited to stay for cookies and coffee in the fellowship hall. Let's give them a warm welcome. Testing. Ah, good morning. So we are so happy to have with us uh, four distinguished guests this morning. Uh, we'd also like to send good thoughts and uh, best wishes to Imam Mohammed, who couldn't join us uh, at the last minute this morning, but we're thinking of him. So uh, I'd love to do very brief introductions and um, get right to the questions, because we don't have that much time this morning. Um, we're so very happy to have, starting over here, uh, Manu with us, physics prof at Goshen, um, uh, representing Hinduism today speak more about that. We're very happy to have Dr. Robert Stockman over here representing Baha'i and uh, from IUSB and again, thanks for coming. We're happy to have uh, Rabbi Karin Kampanez with us uh, from Temple Beitel in South Bend uh, representing Judaism, of course, and of course, some of you may know, Dr. Matthew Hill, um, professor here at Goshen, representing Catholicism for us today. So, um, all right, if I just dive right in. Okay, so uh, we have a lot to talk about, and I know, as a religion prof, how easy it is to summarize a religious system in two words, right? It's easy. No, 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 I'm, I'm so sorry, I'm kidding. Um, but why don't we start with an easy question, maybe, uh, which is simply, uh, what is one central value or characteristic of your religious tradition? You start, Manu? Hello. First of all, I will clarify that I don't have any formal education in Hinduism. I am Hindu by birth. So it's good to say that you will be seeing Hinduism from my eyes. So to come to the question, the core values of Hinduism are uh, dharma, karma, and moksha. Dharma means it's your duties. And karma means what you do comes back to you. And moksha means a way where you assimilate your energy to divine energy. And dharma depends upon who you are and what stage of life you are and what moment of time you are. Like currently, my dharma is to see what Hinduism is to you. And after this, I have a class. I will be a teacher. So at that point, my dharma is to make my student learn things. And at night, I'll be with my family. At that time, my dharma will be to be with my family, to love them, to care them, and et cetera. And karma means it's like a ripple in water. So if I do good things, it will, good thing will happen to me. If I do bad things, bad thing will happen to me at this time, or in future, or after life. And for every Hindus, ultimate thing is moksha. We want to be connected to the divine energy or pure energy. Is this working? Yeah, very good. Well, the Baha'i faith is something a lot of people don't know much about, so I have to sort of try to figure out how to summarize it. But the main teaching that we have is the teaching of unity, bringing people together. The founder of the faith, who was named Baha'u'llah, uh, claimed he had a, had a revelation from God and his writings we consider scripture. One of the things he says is that the purpose of religion is to establish unity and concord 
among the peoples of the world. And he goes on to say the progress of the world, the development of nations, the tranquility of peoples, and the peace of all who dwell on earth are among the principles and ordinances of God. So this is a divine thing for really all religions. Religion bestoweth upon man the most precious of all gifts, offer the cup of prosperity, imparteth eternal life, and showereth imperishable benefits upon mankind. So there's this understanding that religion is something that brings us together, transforms us, connects us to God, and helps us advance civilization. Hi, everyone. Um, thanks for being here and being awake. I'm making that assumption. Um, so I, I would answer the question with um, two words, two Hebrew words, tikkun olam, which is the concept of fixing or perfecting the world in partnership with God. And I think that's a very important tenet of Judaism, and it applies, I guess, not only to Jews, but all of us. Uh, we can all do our small part to help fix the world. I'm making an assumption there that we think there are things to fix in the world. I'll make an I statement. I think there's plenty of work for, for us to do. Um, so that is the first uh, tenet that comes to my mind. I'm gonna, there are of course others, but I'm gonna keep it brief because we have a lot of questions and not much time. Hi. Um, I would just begin by saying what Jesus said to Nicodemus, which was, God so loved the world that he gave his only son that we might be saved, to show us that he loves us and that God is always with us and within us. On the way to Emmaus, Jesus met two disciples. They did not know who he was in his resurrected form. And they walked with him and he told them that the Messiah must suffer greatly. And they were confused and then he broke bread with them and then they saw his true presence. That presence of God is within all of us, and it is there so that we can learn to love one another as God has first loved us. Thank you all. That's really beautiful introductions to each tradition and um, certainly hearing uh, commonalities in terms of presence, in terms of unity, in terms of uh, action as well. So that's wonderful. Thank you so much. Well, why don't we get a little theological uh, with our second question? Um, and uh, we're trying to keep this question inclusive. You can tell us if we did a good job or not. But we're wanting to know a little bit about how your tradition, your religion, uh, relates to or perceives the divine, however that is conceived. Um, perhaps we could start maybe the second one down. Dr. Stockman, would you mind starting on this one? Sure. Well, we certainly, first of all, we just refer to the divine as God in our, in our scriptures. And I should point out that the scriptures originally are in Arabic and Persian, where the term is either Allah in Arabic or Khoda in Persian. So to us, all these are words just refer to the same infinite being, I suppose you should say. Uh, we believe that God is, an, first of all, an unknowable essence that we can relate to through the, the teachings that we receive from these different messengers of God. And we relate to them also through studying the lives of these individuals. Um, we connect to God through prayer and through fasting and through service. 
Um, I'm not sure what else to say, actually. It's, I think in that sense, we're not that different from the other Western monotheistic traditions. We also have many different names for God. Um, some of them we don't even know how to pronounce. Um, that's part of the point. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's, there's many different views of God in Judaism. There's the God that appears in the Bible, who's very anthropomorphic, um, having human characteristics. Um, most modern Jews, that kind of God doesn't really resonate for many of us, and I include myself in that category. Um, there's a mystical idea that there's a spark of God within each one of us. Uh, that idea resonates more with me. Uh, there's even um, non-anthropomorphic ideas about God, like God is love, or God is inspiration, or God is nature. These are all Jewish views of God that have been espoused through time and by various people at various times. So um, uh, I, guess, I guess to put it colloquially, I suppose you could say God is whatever you want God to be. And actually God also says that in the Torah. Uh, I was just studying this yesterday with a group where God says, Moses says, well, what should I tell the people when they ask me who you are? And, and God says, I will be what I will be. I have a cheat sheet. This is partly because I can go a little bit long, uh, and I don't, I know I'm not supposed to, so I'm not going to. Um, and all these questions, by the way, are like, could be an entire, you know, life of study. Um, so it's hard to be succinct. Um, in the Christian tradition, God is Trinitarian. It's a perfect relationship between Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And I just want to give a few references to this in Scripture. Um, Jesus explains to Mary and Joseph when he was 12 years old, why were you looking for me? Did you not know that I must be in my father's house? John chapter 14, which is a beautiful chapter, 14 through 17. Um, but John chapter 14, Thomas says to him, remember Thomas is the one that's always misunderstanding and doubting. Master, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? And Jesus said to him, I'm the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you know me, then you will know my Father. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. And Philip said to him, Master, show us the Father, and that will be enough for us. I think a lot of us are always asking God, show us, just show us. And Jesus says, have I been with you so such a long time, and you still do not know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. The other aspect is the Holy Spirit. And then Jesus goes on to say, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to be with you always, the Spirit of truth, which the world cannot accept, because it neither sees nor knows it, but you know it, because it remains with you and will be in you. So the, the Christian idea of God is the Holy Trinity. Um, in Hinduism, uh, we don't have just one God. Everything is God in Hinduism, like water, Jaldev, that's God. Fire, Agnidev, that's God. Even teachers, Gurudev, that's God. And mom, dad, those are gods. 
So for now, let's see. Let's think about. Let's consider. I'm talking about the ultimate pure energy where we want to assimilate moksha, that to be God, and there are various ways to get into that. One is bhakti. That means you devote your life towards that God. You pray for that. Another is yoga and meditation. Another is studying Vedas, Upanishads, and being a scholar on that. For me, the easiest way to connect with God is following my dharma. Like what I do, what I'm going to do. If I do that properly, then I will be directly connected to the God, ultimate energy. And at the end of life, if I do that faithfully, if I perform all those tasks correctly, then I will ultimately get into moksha. Thank you all so much. And I am resisting my instincts to ask a lot more questions right now that are not on the list um, because, you know, we had to give you some. Uh, yeah, um, but I uh, found it really interesting in what I'm hearing on this one too about different names of God in particular and different conceptions of what that is. Um, divine takes many forms, at least in, on this stage, you know, at the moment. That's wonderful. Well, hey, everybody, this next question is one of the co most common ones that I get from all you students. Um, so we'll see what we've got. This question is, what does your religion believe about death? and what happens afterward. Perhaps, Rabbi Karin, would you mind starting us off? Sure. Uh, so, as far as Judaism is concerned, no one's ever come back after death to tell us. So, we have no idea. Um, so, the ideas of heaven and hell originate in Judaism of the <coughs> monotheistic religions I should say, I don't know anything about what Hinduism says about that, but Manu will tell us. Um, so the idea of a, an afterlife um, appears in the Hebrew Bible. I kind of, in a shorthand way, say that uh, Christianity really took that idea and ran with it. We don't sort of, you know, really concern ourselves so much with that because we don't really know. So it seems a bit kind of not not well, so we don't really concern ourselves with it. Rather, we concern ourselves with what we can do here in this world while we are alive. And this comes back to the idea of tikkun olam and fixing the world. So um, if there is a heaven, terrific. <laughs> um, but we don't kind of, you know, base our life, live our lives, you know, for, to um, orient them to some kind of reward after we die. Um, you know, like I said, if there is, great, but let's see what we can do here in this world while we're, while we're alive. Um, I really like this question. Um, I really get into this sort of stuff. So um, I, I just begin um, with a comment from St. Augustine um, from the Confessions. He opens his Confessions. He says, my heart is restless until it rests in thee, O Lord. Um, there is something within all of us that is undefinable and is always longing, always searching, always desiring. It's never, ever full. We are a composite as a person of a body and a soul. We're not just bodies and we're not just souls. We are both together. And so we are, we are made for eternity. That sense of eternity exists within every individual. Grace, the ability to learn to love your neighbor and to love God and to be close to God 
is, 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 uh, is a great, great thing. It's also difficult. And that difficult is the cross that we carry. We're asked by Jesus to pick up our cross daily and follow him. That carrying of our cross is called a purgation. And when that purgation happens after death, it's called purgatory. And purgatory is that state of the soul that is waiting the, you know, the heavenly reward, in a sense. Those that live with God are living in heaven, whether it's on this earth or after you die. Um, look at Mother Teresa of Calcutta. How could she have done what she did if she wasn't already living in heaven? And hell is a decision made by the individual, not by God, to not be with God. And it is the totality of all of our choices. After death, we no longer have freedom of choice. That is a gift. So truth in, in, is, is infused into our being, and our being decides completely for God, for some sort of purgation, or for hell, because has no understanding, knowledge, or desire to be with God. Uh, like my friend explained about uh, the physical body and soul, similar thing is explained in Hinduism as well. Our body is made of physical body and soul. And when we die, physical body dies, but soul never dies. And the ultimate destiny for the soul is moksha. That means our energy should be assimilated with clean form of energy. And if we don't find moksha, we should take rebirth again and again into different forms until and unless we find that moksha. That means until and unless we do our karma that we are destined to do. Baha'is believe that individuals, uh, the soul lives forever, and that there is infinite progress that we have to make uh, towards God. Uh, in this world, we exist to acquire divine qualities, the ability to love, to be patient, to be just, to be kind to others. These are the attributes that uh, Karin mentioned, actually, some of them are the attributes Karin mentioned that we see in God that we poorly reflect. Uh, as we develop these, we, of course, become better people, and in the next world, we continue to progress uh, towards the divine. We don't believe in heaven and hell as physical places. As uh, we have just heard, you can be in hell in this world or in heaven in this world, and similarly, the next world distance from God, the failure to develop these qualities in this world is a kind of hell. You can continue to develop in the next world primarily through God's grace and um, the service of others in this world who can pray for you so that you can continue to develop in the next world. But as we heard, I, I actually I agree with the, 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 the comment that uh, we don't really have free will in the next world the way we have in this world. And so this world is a unique place for developing our qualities and our attributes. And that's what we take with us. We can't take our 401 uh, C3, our, our, um, our um, you know, money or our boat or our house, but we can take our qualities with us to the next world. I'm a little disappointed. There are some things I'd kind of like to take. In the no, I'm just kidding. I'm kidding. <laughs> all right. um, that's great. And thank you all so much. And yeah, I, what I'm hearing in this one, 
not to try and keep looking for a commonality point. I don't know why I'm doing that, hey. But you know, I keep thinking, I keep hearing connection, so much connection between life, death, afterlife, or further realm, or further life um, across all these answers. So not two separate things, but a connection across, which is really interesting to hear. Thanks for that. Um, Oh, timing. I better move and be a good moderator. Hey, everybody. Uh, so uh, I'm going to ask then this question, and I think some of this has been answered already in the ways that we're discussing other things, like characteristics of religion or divine or so on. But this question can feel free to uh, skip it if you've already spoken to it or feel like you have. Um, but this would be, how does your religion view human nature? Then how does your religion view people? Or how do you, how do you view people and their capacities or what they can do or not do? I'm going to jump in because I want to say that um, Judaism regards people as um, having two natures, I guess. We're born with a yetzer hara and a yetzer hatov, a, a, a good inclination, or evil inclination and a good inclination. Each of us is born that way and life is kind of a, a battle between them, if your battle might be too strong a word, struggle perhaps between them, and uh, we hope that the good inclination wins out more often uh, than, the other, than the other one, although we know we're human, so we know that uh, we have this evil inclination, um, and um, so it's kind of a duality, if you like. Um, and uh, what was the question? How are we viewing human nature and what's yeah. our capacity? Yeah, I think I was actually answering the question. Yeah, so I just wanted to say that. Thank you. Well, since we're here, Matthew, do you want to go? Um, so I sometimes talk to students about relative importance and absolute importance. And so relative importance is like your abilities, if you're an athlete, if you're a musician, if you sing, um, you know, things like that. Uh, if you're good in good in mathematics, you're good in chemistry, whatever it might be. Those are your relative, that's your relative importance. Your absolute importance is that you're created in the image and likeness of God. And for that reason, all human life is sacred. All human life is sacred. And um, sometimes people get those two mixed up. The relative importance, like we have students in the music department, they do something, it doesn't go as well as they want it to go, and they feel kind of crappy afterwards but they have to remember that's not their absolute importance, that's their learning experience. Um, the other thing I would say is that the just person falls seven times a day. And so yes, we sin, um, we're selfish, we don't think about others, um, we think just about ourselves, um, we get angry for the wrong reasons, uh, we're lazy, we don't do what we, what we know we should do. Um, and yes, there's forgiveness, and forgiveness is found all the time in God's infinite goodness, and that's, that's accessible to everybody. Um, one sacrament that I, as a Catholic, appreciate is the sacrament of confession. Um, I sin a lot, so I need to go to confession a lot. And a number of years ago, I had to make a choice, and um, my life was not going in the direction that God, that it should be going in, in many, many ways. And I decided to spend some time in prayer every day. And it was difficult to do that, just to be quiet in, in, in the presence of God. That was really, really difficult because it's a very honest activity. And a lot of things changed within me. I'm still very much a work in progress, a huge work in progress. Um, but I'm very grateful to our good Lord and to all the people here and to my family and family I came from that has shown me a path to our Lord, Christ, 
and to live in union with the Holy Spirit, with God the Father. Yeah, in Hinduism, like ultimate thing, we want to be in like moksha, and there are six hurdles that comes into like moksha. That is one is desire, second is anger, third is um, uh, greed, attachment, and ego, and the last one, oh shoot, I forgot. The last one, let me remember, uh, I'll leave it. Okay, uh, and the okay, last one is we follow ahimsa. That ahimsa means uh, we are not supposed to hurt anyone. The hurting can be emotional hurting or physical hurting. The extreme case of physical hurting is killing someone or some something. That's why Hinduism, Hindus follow vegetarian diet, just not to hurt anyone. Certainly, Baha'is agree that. We have this tendency both to be good and to be bad. I think that's a universal understanding of human beings. And one of the things that Baha'u'llah says about human beings that I think is quite interesting, and I think it's also something that most religions would agree with, uh, he says, first and foremost, among the favors which Al the Mal Almighty has conferred upon man is the gift of understanding. So this is our ability to think, our reasoning ability. Why do we have this gift? His purpose in conferring such a gift is none other than to enable his creature to know and recognize the one true God, exalted be his glory. This gift also gives us the power to discern the truth in all things, leadeth us to that which is right, and helps us to discover the secrets of creation. So here we have the importance of science in discovering the secrets of creation, the importance of justice in seeing things which are right, or learning which is right, and just the gift of discerning the truth in all things, including, of course, the divine. And this is a, a very precious gift that makes us different from anything else in this world. Thank you so much. And for our last question, let's do a speed round, if we can. Your quick answer, just for all of, the, all of our benefit on campus, to what would be one misconception that you get a lot about your tradition that you just want to clear up for all of us today? Speed round, if we can. Manu, do you want to start with us off with that? What was the question? Yes, what is one misconception or misunderstanding that you do you get often? Uh, the misconception I always find in Hinduism is like people think like, the Hinduism has like discrimination between like different caste, discrimination between male and female. What am I thinking is the divine power or divine who made us never discriminates among anything. It's not in Hinduism. I think it should. It, it's in all the religion. We all are equal, and that's the misconception. I just want to make sure it's not in Hinduism. It's someone who interprets the epic sculpture or epic book uh, on their advantage. They are throwing it to you. So what I want to say in conclusion is Hinduism never discriminates among male and female among different castes. We, we all are same. Most people don't know enough about the Baha'i faith to have misconceptions. <laughs> but when people have a misconception, it's generally that we don't necessarily believe anything of our own, that we're a kind of religious Esperanto. Uh, Baha'u'llah, the founder of the faith, claimed to uh, receive a divine revelation. We believe that we're a continuation of this chain of prophets that have come to humanity from time immemorial. 
and that the teachings that he brings are the teachings of the previous religions, but redistilled as they are needed for this day, for a world which is sorely in need of unity and of bringing people together and of overcoming national differences. And uh, that's, I think, the most important thing to, that I would be concerned about to make clear. I think it's that Judaism is just a religion like other religions. Judaism is really a way of life and it, uh, it doesn't really fit the category. Um, there's this thing called the Jewish people. That's why uh, what's going on in Israel and Gaza is affecting the entire Jewish world as we see ourselves as all really a large family. Um, I have family in Melbourne, Australia and also family in Jerusalem, and we're all very affected by what's going on there. I know that, uh, is it Dr. Schenk or Professor Schenk said at the beginning that we weren't going to dwell on this, but I can't let the opportunity pass without just mentioning that in this context. So that is one uh, misconception about Judaism. Uh, it affects every aspect of, of a Jewish person's life. Um, so, yep, leave it at that. The biggest misconception I get very frequently is anything that concerns the Virgin Mary and the saints. And the biggest misconception of there is that Catholics pray to them for things. Uh, this is not correct. Uh, you pray with them. Uh, you can pray asking them to pray for you the same way that you would ask a friend or a parent uh, to pray for you as well. They just happen to be a little closer to God, so it can be somewhat powerful. Wonderful, that was all very helpful for us. Well, uh, we have a few words of sending and a couple announcements, so stick around for another couple of minutes. But I'd like to say um, our guests today have maybe just a few minutes after the chapel space today. If you wanna come up, say hi, say thanks, and ask another question if they have the time. Um, but let's thank all of our speakers today. Thank you so much. Is Louisa here to make an announcement? I don't see her. Okay, it's going to be Phil. Make your way up quickly. Come on up. Can you give him a mic? Okay. Um, stand by. situation in Palestine and Israel tomorrow night at 9.30 p.m. in Shrock Plaza. The vigil is being led by a group of some of us students that went to Palestine and Israel last midterm. <clears throat> the point of this vigil is to hear stories and pray together for those who have been affected by this. We would love to see all of you there, no matter your beliefs or knowledge of what's going on. Thank you. Thank you. Stand for the closing blessing. receive this blessing. May the light of love guide your steps. May wisdom 
illuminate your minds. May the warmth of compassion fill your hearts. Go taking the spirit of unity and peace to our campus, to our community, and to our world. Thank you. Please join us for cookies and coffee in the fellowship hall.